Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Don't raise your hand. Might be embarrassing for some people. How many of you know somebody very well who is uh, strong-willed and they don't listen? What they don't do what they're told. Perhaps you're married to somebody like that. I'm not saying that just because my parents are here. <laughs> it's your spouse, right? It's not you. It's the spouse. They never listen to you. <laughs> but how many of you know somebody who just doesn't listen? They're strong-willed. They don't. It's not that they don't listen because you know they're absent-minded or have adult ADHD or something like that. But they're strong-willed. They know what they want. They're going to do what they want to do. And that's that. They don't need to listen to anybody else. How many of you know somebody like that? Well, we're going to learn a little bit about of a large group of people who's like that. In Matthew chapter 11, we, hear, we, we come into a scene where John the Baptist, we talked about the first few verses last week. John the Baptist has been taken into prison. And he is now, you know, just he has the spirit of Elijah. We talked about, remember... And Elijah, <clears throat> in the story about Elijah, after Mount Carmel, after this amazing display of God's power, all of a sudden he gets a death threat, and now he just loses it. He despairs of life. He just wishes, why is he even here? Nobody even cares about God. What's he even doing here? Might as well just die. After he had just seen God's mighty power working through him. Yeah, he despairs. And you know, we see John the Baptist, who he is the spirit of Elijah. And we see him doing the exact same thing. He has had a vibrant ministry. He has been baptizing people, calling the nation to repentance. Jesus called him the greatest of all prophets. Now, we don't have detailed descriptions of everything that he did throughout his ministry, but it would be cool to read something like that, to see what all he did throughout his life. We don't have that, but we take Jesus' word for it, that he is. He was the greatest of all prophets. And yet we see him taken into prison, and now he's doubting. Just like Elijah did. He is doubting whether Jesus is the Messiah. We saw, he knew, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. <clears throat> he knew that. And we remember, even way before that happened, back when both John the Baptist and Jesus were still in the womb, Jesus came carried by Mary into the presence of Elizabeth who was carrying John the Baptist and John the Baptist just sensed the Messiah's presence and leaped within the womb. He knew he was in the presence of the Messiah even before he was born. (laughs) And when Jesus approached him at the Jordan River, he knew he was in the presence of the Messiah. Jesus didn't have to tell him, Hey John, it's me, the Messiah. You're not worthy to, to tighten my sandal straps or loosen them. No, he didn't. No, he knew whose presence he was in. It was given to him by the Spirit. But here, he's in jail and he's doubting. Are you the one who should come or should we look for another? He's doubting. He's wondering. And what we talked about last week, how Jesus pointed John the Baptist to the Word. He didn't tell him, yeah, John, don't worry. I'm the Messiah, you did a good job, you can die in peace. He didn't say that. He said, John, you know, he told his disciples, go tell John, John, look at the things that I've been doing. 
And remember, recall Isaiah, how he prophesied that the Messiah would do the things that I'm doing. And you decide for yourself if I'm the Messiah or not. Now John was a man who would receive those words. But there are many today who would not receive those words. We want answers. We want clear answers. We don't want to have to search the scriptures. Just tell me. But Jesus says, search the scriptures. Recall the scriptures. And you will know that I am the Messiah. It will become clear to you, he said to John. And in all of John's doubting, okay, Jesus could have used John the Baptist as an example of how we should not doubt. He could have shamed John. He could have, all the crowds looking, hey guys, don't doubt like John did. Sometimes preachers do that. Oh, you're doubting your salvation. You're doubting the things that I'm saying. Oh, shame on you. John is doubting. Jesus could have used that as an opportunity to teach the people, you guys don't need to doubt. Doubting is, you know, doubting's a weakness. But Jesus, rather than taking opportunity to, to shame him, he takes this opportunity to actually honor John. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Jesus is putting that on display for us. How many of you have a hard time honoring people? The scriptures say, outdo. We shouldn't just honor people, but we should outdo each other in showing honor to each other. And here, even in this situation, Jesus is taking a weakness of John the Baptist and turning it into an opportunity to honor him. He's putting into practice honor. Even though Jesus is the Messiah, John, his whole ministry was to honor the Messiah, to make the path straight for the Messiah. That was his whole job. But Jesus turns it around and as the Messiah honors John in his moment of weakness, no less. Let me read some of this passage. We're actually going to try to finish the chapter, well, most of the chapter, because this all kind of strings together. I'm just going to start in verse 1, Matthew 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And they went away. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is of he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is, will, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. 
We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came, came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, they would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Lord, I just pray that you would open your word to us. I pray that you would, by your spirit, enlighten our eyes to see the beauty of your truth. That we might follow you. That we might seek you wholeheartedly. That we might be devoted to you with an undying passion. (coughs) I pray that your word would be precious to us and that we would seek to learn from it and to follow it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage... We've read several different things. And one thing that we can establish here is that John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Messiah. Part of our point last week was to show Jesus is the prophesied one. He is the one that all the prophets foretold would come. There was a stipulation given to us in Malachi chapter 3 that before the Messiah would come, there would be somebody to come to lay the way for him. He quotes Malachi 3.1. Jesus quoted Malachi 3.1 in chapter 10. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way for you. So when the Messiah would come, there would be somebody there coming before him to prepare his way. The people didn't really know what it all looked like. That's how prophecy works. Okay? It doesn't give us all the details, but it gives us enough to know, enough, you know, You look at the clouds and you can tell the weather from the clouds, right? It gives us enough to know the signs and the times. That's what the prophecies do. It doesn't fill in all the gaps. It doesn't fill in all the chronology. It doesn't fill in all the details, but it gives us enough to know. Those of us who are faithful to the word, who know the word, who have been diligent in our pursuit of the word, we will know the times when they come. So, Malachi prophesies that this one... Would come. He would be the spirit of Elijah, which is testified of in Malachi 4 5. He will be the spirit of Elijah. He will come and he will make the way ready for the Messiah. So, Jesus, as he's honoring John the Baptist, he's also implying that he himself is the Messiah. John the Baptist laid the way for him to come. Jesus is just so wise with his words, isn't he? He is using an opportunity. To honor John, but at the same time point people to himself. Not be, it's a way that his humility in not trying to exalt himself, even though he's the Messiah, if anybody is, deserves to honor himself, it's Jesus. But he's taking an opportunity to honor somebody else, and at the very same time point people to the Messiah. Jesus is so wise in his words, and how he, and if you just. <laughs> His wisdom is just, it's almost humorous. Just read how he interacts with the Pharisees sometimes. You just see how wise he is with his words. In just a couple sentences, he can completely obliterate them. And it's just hilarious to see. Um, 
if only he were here today and went on the news and <laughs> just obliterated all sorts of misconceptions and things. But that's, we know, we are the body of Christ and such like that. But that's besides the point. But he's honoring John and pointing the people to himself. He is telling them, hey, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Okay, so he's establishing something. He was somebody worthy for you to take a trip out into the desert to go and see him. The Bible says that he was, he was a hairy man. He was covered in, in rugged clothing. He ate locusts and honey. He was a man who lived off the land, probably dark skin, wrinkly skin, sun bleached, or sun, uh, whatever you call it. Um, rough man, low grumbly voice probably, not an attractive person. But this man had something that people wanted to see and hear. And he's saying, what did you go out to see? Did you go out and see this man because he was a reed shaken by the wind? Otherwise, because he was a man who just says whatever you want to hear. He's a soft man. He can be easily manipulated. Hey, you want to hear this? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how good you're doing, even though you're full of sin and depravity. But I'll make you feel good about yourself because you're a Jew. You're the son of a child of Abraham. I just need to make you feel good. You know, did you go out and see a man like that who just... Who'll just tell you what you want to hear? A weak person who doesn't stand for anything? Or what did you go out and see? A man dressed in fine and soft clothing? Behold, those in soft clothing are in the king's houses. Did you go out to see royalty? This man did not look like royalty. He was the son of a priest who had left his home and just lived in the desert. He did not look royal. <laughs> In any way, shape, or form. No, you didn't go out and see him because he was some important political figure. That's not why you went out to see him. What did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. He honors John to the utmost. If John could have only heard the things that were said about him, oh, how encouraging those things were. Perhaps it would be embarrassing. Perhaps he didn't want those things because John himself said, he must increase and I must decrease. But yet Jesus is increasing my name. That's not my place. So we know the humility of John the Baptist as well. And Jesus exalts him in the eyes of the people. Why do you think he takes opportunity to do this? What's the point of all this? I mean, did, Jesus uses his words for a reason. He picks his words carefully. He doesn't just randomly say whatever and talk about needless nonsense. In the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied and prophesied and prophesied to Israel and Judah. Didn't do any good. By and large, No. Some people turn from their wicked ways. Some kings turn. Some, some generations turn. But by and large, the prophecies of the prophets didn't really create any lasting effect. God sent person after person to charge the nation with repentance, but they did not repent. They reminded the people of the covenant that God made with them. Follow me and I will bless you. I will make your land prosper. But if you turn from my word, you will fall away. I will turn my face away from you. And the people should have listened. The people should have listened to those things. But the people did not listen to those things. Remember Nineveh. 
Jonah preached an eight-word message to them, and they repented. A Gentile, wicked nation. Jonah didn't even want to go there. They didn't have the law and the prophets, but God sent them Jonah. And he preached an eight-word message to them, and they repented and wore sackcloth, covered themselves in ashes. But the people of Israel, God's people, who had the law, who had the prophets to guide them, who had the covenant of God, the promise of God upon them. Nobody, no other nation had this at that point. They had the covenant of God upon them, but they would not listen. See, there's that stubborn mule of a person, of a nation, that just will not listen, even though it's plainly given to them. Here's everything you need. Just listen to it and follow it. But they would not. John the Baptist was a, was a person, the last of the great prophets to come with a ministry of repentance, a baptism of repentance to draw the nation. Look to God. Just look to God and do His will. John chapter 7, look at this, look at this passage with me. John seven sixteen. John 7, 16 and 17. Jesus says, So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Do you want to be able to discern whether a person has the will to do the will of God? How do they treat the scriptures? Are they constantly trying to conform the scriptures to themselves, to their desires, to their agendas, to modern day culture? Or are they willing to look strictly at the scriptures and believe them and obey them? If anyone's will is to do the will of my Father, to, to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. If, if our desire is to follow after God, then we will find him in the Word. We will see the Scriptures. We will believe them. We will follow them. And in a way, John the Baptist, the way, he was trying to, the way he was preparing the way for the Messiah, he was trying to bring the people's will in line with God's will so that when the Messiah revealed himself, they would know him. Because if they were not in line with the will of God, then they would not accept the Messiah when he came. Many of us, we come to church, but we don't actually honor the word. Because our will is not to do the will of God. Therefore, we don't really know Jesus. Our prayers aren't answered. Our lives fall apart. We find no sustenance in the word. Because it's not really that important to us. It's not authoritative to us. Our desire is not to do the will of God. Our desire is for God to do my will. Our prayers are all, I have a will, God. You just bless it. We don't, I mean, Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we completely jump over all of that. God, give me my food, give me my health, give me my bread, help me to do right, all those types of things. But we don't ever establish within our lives the submission to God 
Our will has never been to do God's will. We don't want to see His will come because we're afraid of what we might have to sacrifice. We just want to keep praying and hopefully God will finally submit to our way of life. We have a way set out. We've been working hard at this my whole life. I have a way all set out. God, now put your hand on it and bless it. God still loves you. God still loves you. But you need to repent and do God's will. How, are we, how in the world are we supposed to know God's will if we don't actually look at it? It's right here. God has given us his word. I mean, this is something that I've taught my children on several occasions. Children, we're at church. This is where you're being taught the things that God wants. God did not have to give this to us. He would have been right in just separating himself from mankind or destroying mankind. I mean, he already destroyed most of it once. He was perfectly just in doing that. He didn't have to give this to us. He didn't have to show us the way. He didn't have to die on the cross for us. He didn't have to do any of this stuff. He's not obligated to us. But God gave this to us because he wanted us to have it. And if God, the creator of the universe, wants us to have it, don't you think we should look into it and see what it is that God wants us to have? And the Jews, I mean, they, I mean, this is in their kingdom. God had chosen the Jews to work through the Jews. And he gave his covenant, his law, his prophets to the Jews. They had it. But even at a, time, at a point during the kings, they lost it. They lost the scriptures. And it was like, you know, a huge, a huge thing when somebody, hey, hey, guys, I was looking through the rubble in the temple and I found this. Oh, look, it's the law of God. And then there was nationwide repentance. But just think about the fact that they lost it. (laughs) They cared so little about it that they literally stuck it on a shelf somewhere and it got covered in rubble and dust and people didn't even know it was in there anymore. Because the people, they didn't care what it had to say. They didn't care about actually following the covenant that God had given them. There was no concern for the ways of God. And just, it's, we're no different people. People are people, whether you lived in the B.C. or the A.D. <laughs> people are people. We want to do what we want to do, and we kind of want to be a little religious about it so that we feel good, so that God will, so we kind of have, feel like we have somebody on our side giving us a little boost. Call ourselves Christians, but we're not really Christians because we don't follow Jesus. We're just hoping that he'll make our lives work out. It's more like Jesus is a Davidian. He has to follow me around. But John came to prepare the way, to call people, follow God, repent, look at the law, look at the word, look at the law of Moses. Not not to exalt the law of Moses per se, but to prepare the people to know the Messiah when he came. Because he was not going to make it easy on them. He was not going to meet all of their expectations. Because some of over the hundreds of years, their expectations were all over the place. About what the Messiah would do and what we should expect for him to do. Because they had misinterpreted some of the prophecies. They interpreted some of them right. That's why they could be understood. That's why John caused, or Jesus told John to recall the prophecies about what the Messiah would do when he would get here. And see, hey, I've been doing those things. Therefore, 
But the people, by and large, the nation of Israel, some people repented, some people came. But at the end of Jesus' life, the Messiah himself, what did the nation do to him? The nation killed him. The nation didn't want him because they were not ready for the real Messiah. Have we ever been there? Or we knew God's will, but we weren't ready to receive it. We knew it, we were convicted of it, or we saw it in the scriptures, or we heard a sermon about it, but then after the sermon was over, that was a good thought, Pastor, but I'm going to put this away now. <laughs> I've got to go do my own thing now. I'm not going to think about this anymore. Because that will was hard. That will involved sacrifice. Are we following Jesus? Just Is it enough to go to church? Oh, I'm following Jesus. I go to church on Sundays. Ooh, I'm really special. I go on Wednesdays. Whew. <laughs> Look at me. Man, I am so devoted. But the rest of our life is just all about us. And we miss out on knowing Jesus actually. Actually. Because we're not prepared to see him when he shows up. We're not prepared because we actually don't care about the will of God. We are so consumed with our own will. Verse 12. From the days of John, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now. Okay, so that's not a very long time that he's quoting. Okay, when John was ministering to now, just a handful of years, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. What is he talking about? Who, what's so violent? Who's taking the kingdom of God by force? What in the world is Jesus saying? And I think that Jesus explains himself in the rest of the in most of the the rest of this chapter, from verses thirteen to twenty four. Um, but let's, let's lay a little foundation here. He says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who, to, who is to come. Okay, so even the prophets prophesied about this prophet. Okay, a little confusing. Prophets prophesied about this prophet, John, who would come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you are willing to accept it, this is John the Baptist. Now, if you're willing to accept that John the Baptist is the prophesied one who would lay the way of the Messiah, then you have to accept the fact that he's the laying the way for somebody who is here. Okay? So the Messiah is here. Now, if you're willing to accept that this is John the Baptist, then you also have to accept that somebody here is the Messiah. And who? Raise your hand if you're fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah. Well, Jesus, raised, Jesus would have raised his hand. Okay? So, so if you're willing to accept it, but most of the people were not willing to accept it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Whenever he says that, you have to think this is a hard saying. It goes against a rudimentary humanistic um, longing in our, in our minds. or something that's confusing and hard to grapple with. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because only those who have ears to hear, given from God, will actually hear and understand and obey. Because <clears throat> we all have ears, but do we all have ears to hear? Has the Spirit opened our ears so that we can understand to follow? But to who, verse 16, and this is kind of what is suffering violence, okay? 
But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. So we were doing this thing that's supposed to result in a reaction. We play a flute, all of a sudden people are supposed to be dancing. Sorry for those who don't believe in dancing, but anyway. We sing a dirge and you did not mourn. So they sang a solemn tune that was supposed to result in mourning, perhaps at a funeral or something like that. But it did not bring the reaction that it called for. Okay? What's he saying there? He's saying John the Baptist came, laying away for the Messiah, but you did not repent. The Messiah has come, but you did not recognize him. You did not receive him. You have rejected him. The expected result for the nation of Israel was for them to follow the Messiah. I mean, their, their teachings in the synagogues and the temple have been preparing the people for the Messiah for centuries. They should have been prepared. They should have recognized him because they should have known the prophecies. And they've been told the prophecies in their synagogues, in their temples. But when he showed up, the response was, no, you can't be the Messiah. You're a blasphemer. Even though he had made it obvious through his teachings, through his actions, that he was the Messiah, he had made it clear. There should have been no question. But the people were not actually looking for him. They had settled into a way of religious life. Or perhaps they were content in their sin. And when the Messiah showed up, they weren't ready for him. They couldn't see him. They couldn't recognize him. And if they did, they didn't want him. Because I don't want my life to be uprooted, overthrown. In verse 18, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So, they, they downplay John by accusing him of being <clears throat> strange, has a demon, he's a weird guy, he must have a demon, so we don't need to listen to him. We don't need to repent and follow what he's saying because he's weird. We don't need to listen to what Jesus said because he's a sinner. He is unorthodox in everything that he is doing. We don't need to listen to that guy. So they are pulling out any excuse whatsoever, whether, whether they were eating and drinking or not eating and drinking. They would refuse them. It doesn't matter. You know, you'd think that if, John, if they were accusing John the Baptist of, oh, he doesn't, he, he's fasting all the time. He's so strange. He must have a demon. Well, you'd expect that, well, you know, they would ex the expectation there for would be, well, if we're going to follow somebody, he should be somebody who's eating and drinking. But then somebody came eating and drinking, and they didn't follow him either. They're just looking for whatever excuse they can possibly find to just sweep repentance under the rug. I don't need this. I don't need to follow anybody. I don't need to follow this guy or that guy. Finding any excuse whatsoever. In verse 20, and we'll end with these last several verses here. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Remember, we talked about Jonah. He, preached, he didn't even do any miracles in Nineveh. He preached this simple message that probably took him five seconds to think of. And the whole town is repenting. And he said, you know, now he's, he's calling out these cities. Okay, these, these are all cities north of, Gal north of the Sea of Galilee where most of his ministry was at this point in his life. Okay, 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And Tyre and Sidon, Gentile cities that were overthrown shortly after Judah was taken into captivity. It was rebuilt by Rome later. Um, But nevertheless, they got overthrown because they were wicked cities. They were Gentile cities. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, this is where Jesus actually moved his home. He lived in Capernaum for some, for some time. And that was his home base for quite a while. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Think about that. Sodom and Gomorrah. And we read about Sodom and Gomorrah in 2 Peter 2.6. And he's, Peter explains, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes... He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So Sodom and Gomorrah are used in the Old Testament as an example of what happens to the ungodly. Um, they will endure the wrath of God. Okay? It will rest upon them. In Tyre and Sidon, they were also overthrown, um, like I said, shortly after the days of <coughs> Judah. Uh, now, the, now Sodom and Gomorrah, Tyre and Sidon, Jesus is saying, if these cities had seen what you people see, oh, they would have repented. Oh, they would have cherished it. They would have looked upon me and received repentance and salvation. They would have. Then he speaks to these cities. You saw me. I am putting myself on display for you. Why don't you repent? Why is it worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah? Because they had all the evidence. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have the evidence. They they weren't given a chance. They weren't given the law. They weren't given the prophets. They weren't warned. Abraham was warned, warned, but the city was not warned. God did not go to the city and preach a message of repentance to Sodom and Gomorrah. But if he had... Jesus is saying, they would have repented. But you people, God has been coming to you for millennia. And you're constantly turning from him. You don't want what God has to offer. Even though he has given you such rich blessings in his covenant, such rich promises. He has given you a Messiah who is to take away your sins, to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh so you can obey His laws. He has come to give you the Holy Spirit, a gift. He has come to give you so much. But you don't want Him. You don't recognize His Messiah when He has come to you. That's why it's going to be worse off for you in the day of judgment. Because you had it all. And yet you rejected me. You rejected me when even the, under, even, even the Gentile nations, if they were to have me, they would have repented. I, I would have played a flute and they would have danced. I would have sang a dirge and they would have mourned. But you are ignorant and strong-willed and childish. Nineveh stands in judgment against you. I mean, that's what he says in Matthew chapter 12. Look at Matthew, just turn one page over to Matthew 12, 41 to 42. He says, 
The men of Nineveh will rise up again in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. The Gentile nations were always looking. They were always soft. But the Jews, oh, they hardened themselves against the truth. And you and I, we must actively and openly be seeking God's will. It might be a good practice for us whenever we sit down to pray. Even at, you know, It may sound unorthodox for our Reformed perspective, but if you sit down to dinner, to lunch, to breakfast, or with your family, or by yourselves, start your prayers the way God, Jesus taught us to start our prayers. Maybe that will help. God, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we can encapsulate our prayers with those words, perhaps it will enter into our soul and we might actually believe it. Praise the Lord for those of us who do believe it and we seek the Lord's will. But it's hard because we're humans. We have agendas. We have desires and longings that are constantly battling against us, warring against our spirit. Even Paul testified to that. We will never be free from that until we are dead. So we always have to be battling it. I do pray that prayer a lot because my heart is prone to wander and I am constantly having to try to restructure my heart by the power of the Spirit. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Not mine. And if we set our minds upon the kingdom of God, perhaps our prayers will see them change. Because now we start to value the things that God values. And God loves you. God values you. God knows your pain. God knows your loss. God knows your desires. God knows your needs. He loves you. And He's interested in you. But our first priority as servants to the King is to see that His will is done. That is our, that is our place on this earth. To look to our sovereign Lord and say, God, What is your will? How do you want your kingdom to be established? I will go forth and do that. And as I am doing that, Lord, as I am seeking your kingdom first and your righteousness, I know you'll add all the things to me that I am needing. I know that you'll do that because you have promised it. And then we can rely on the promises. We can look at the scriptures, okay? And look and see all the great many promises that God has given us if we will seek his kingdom first. We will look to those things with confidence and boldness. And our prayers will be answered because God has given us promises. You know, the Bible says that you know, we can pray like Elijah because Elijah was just a normal guy just like us. But what did Elijah pray? He prayed what God told him to pray. God told him, pray and I'll send rain. So what did Elijah do? He labored in prayer until God sent rain because God told him, I will do it. Because Elijah was doing the will of God. That's what, he's, that's what the, the trajectory of his life was. That's what his whole purpose in life was. To do the will of God. To seek his kingdom. To do his will. Our problem is, 
many of us, okay, I struggle with this, is that our hearts are not actually seeking after the will of God. We must be those who actively and openly seek God's will, obey His word, and believe in the gospel and walk in the footsteps of Jesus. That is the trajectory that our life should take. We should be diligent in our pursuit of the word. We should be devoted in our obedience to Christ. We should be committed to following Him no matter where He goes, what He does or what He says. We cannot be like Israel and saying, Word, I follow God. But once he actually appears, we want nothing to do with him. <laughs> because we like to do the things that we like to do. We must actually be disciples of Jesus and put our hands to the plow and not look back. This is my prayer for our church. This is my prayer for myself. Because <laughs> I know the many distractions in life firsthand. I pray that for each one of us here. Let us seek Christ. Let us seek His Word. If we are truly seeking the will of God, let us be in the Word so that we can actually see what it is. What's the point of praying, God, I want to do Your will, but we don't actually want to go in here and look for it. We need to go look for it. What good is it to say, I believe the Bible. Oh, really? What, do you know what the Bible says? Have you read it? Why would you say you believe something you've never read? It's like signing a blind contract. Oh, whatever. It's fine. Not counting the cost. Well, have you read it? Are you sure you agree with this? Not that God's ways are subject to our judgment. His ways are His ways and they're always right. But oh, we must be in here. We must know His will if we're going to say that we want to follow it. And then and then only are we truly His disciples. Let that be the trajectory of our life. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for loving us, humbling yourself to become a servant, to give us something that we could never get on our own. Great salvation. I pray that we would lift our eyes to heaven, that we might receive your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.